we're talking today, it's part of your series, and today the topic is confession. Now, most of us in this culture, when we talk about confessing, specifically confessing our sins, we think that means just merely stating that we did something wrong. Actually, the word confession, theologically and historically, in Christianity has meant to agree. So we have the Apostles' Creed. When we recite it, we are confessing the Apostles' Creed, agreeing that that's true. When we confess our sins, we are actually to agree with God. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about my grandchildren. I, I have a couple of big plastic boxes in the garage filled with old sheets and old blankets and some clothespins. And when they come over, we will make a fort out of sheets and, and blankets and have a great time doing that. And one of them gets to be the architect and tells the rest of us what to do. And then we play in it afterwards. Maybe they read or maybe, they, uh, maybe I play the big bad wolf and huff and puff and so forth and so on. This is a picture of the three-year-old Janelle uh, as she's crawling through one of the tunnels. She's adorable. Yes, she is. And um, Now, the other day, Nathan was the architect. And, oh, what a great fort he built. And it had two levels and lots of twists and turns. And he was just so excited about his fort. And Janelle came over and deliberately started to destroy it. Well, Nathan just melted down. Janelle had a timeout. And then we say, said that famous phrase to Janelle, say you're sorry. So Janelle goes over, sorry. <laughs> now, Nathan didn't really like that a whole lot. That didn't work for him. But how many of you can, I know you're Presbyterians, but you can give me a Baptist raise or just a Presbyterian nod. How many of you remember either teaching your children that or being taught, go say you're sorry? And, you know, and, and, and the many times on the playground or other places where, you know, have you ever thought of all the ways that people say they're sorry? There can be kind of the um, mere outward obedience like Janelle. Sorry. Or there can be the, you know, well, what do you expect? I'm only human. Sorry. Or there can be the, um, well, what if I just get it over with and blast you? Sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, there's, um, the there's the one where you're, you're saying with your voice and your attitude, you're overacting, you big baby. And you use sarcasm and you roll your eyes and you go, sorry. There's the, I didn't mean to. Oh, lost some of the sermon. <clears throat> There's the, I didn't mean to. That's just the, oh, sorry, which is, and the other one a lot like it when you step on somebody's toe because you didn't see them. No. Oops, sorry. There's the one that is kind of like, hey, that's just life. It's like, you know, it's just business. It's not personal. Uh, Matter of fact, you're just saying, you know, sorry, dude. And then there's the pro forma. Can we just get over? The kids are a lot like this. Can we just get over the got to say your sorry thing and move on? Sorry. Now, I was thinking about this. And I was thinking, isn't it amazing all of the different ways our attitude can use the word sorry like this? And are any of the ways that I just described how you would like for someone to say sorry to you? No, I wouldn't. And neither would God. So let's look at the most classic confession of sin, someone saying they're sorry, in the Bible. Let's look at Psalm 51. It starts out with its label, and it says, A Psalm of David, this is King David, when Nathan the prophet went to him 
after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Now let's set the context. Nathan had seven older brothers. He's a shepherd, not a high position. Um, He's not going to inherit much. He's always going to kind of be in his brother's shadow. But he's brave. He's skilled. He's killed a lion and a bear with his, his weapons of a staff and a sling. But meanwhile, the king of Israel is Saul. And Saul has messed up. He has been disobedient. And Samuel the prophet goes to him and says that God has rejected him. And and listen to what Samuel says. He says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. A man after his own heart. Now, Now remember that phrase, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. So Samuel's told to go to the house of Jesse, that's David's father, and seven sons go by him. He's supposed to anoint one to be king, and he sees one that's tall and handsome, and he's thinking, this has got to be it. And God says to him, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. What does God care about? God cares about my heart. David is anointed by Samuel. They, have him, they, they wait for him while he comes in from the field. David is anointed by Samuel to become king. Uh, he kills Goliath. The, the, the king Saul tries to kill him, chases him around the countryside. After many years, he becomes king, and after a big civil war... But once he's king, he's super successful. So because of his heart, he has gone from being a lowly shepherd with seven sons in front of him in sort of a middle-level family to being the king over all of Israel. He has several wives, but that's not enough for him. And so one night, as many of you know, he's out on the veranda of his palace and he sees a woman, Bathsheba, taking a bath on her roof nearby. And he allows his heart to be filled with lust. And that's, that's his downfall. Jesus said, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What does God care about? God cares about my heart. Most people have some sin that they especially struggle with. Uh, you probably know of something, no matter how long you've been following Jesus... For me, I've been following Jesus over 50 years, and I still know there are things that he's not happy about in terms of where my heart goes. There's a lot of stuff that's changed, but there's still things, and you probably have something that is an area that you struggle with especially. We call this in theology, we call it a besetting sin. It besets you, and it keeps coming back, and you have to deal with it fairly regularly. Um, For some people, it's gluttony. For some people, it's bad-mouthing because they want to set themselves above others. For some people, it's, it's greed or materialism. They're spending way too big a portion of their money on their own family and not trusting God or being generous with others. For some, it's irritability and anger or rage. For some, it's bitterness, and they just won't extend to others the grace that has been extended to them in Jesus Christ. Now, for many men, the besetting sin is lust. Statistics show that over 70% of men in this country, they look at pornography regularly. They struggle with lust. Uh, There's a smaller portion, but a significant portion of women as well. It's a little different for women often. Jesus said, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. David 
allows lust to blossom in his heart. He commits adultery with her in his heart. And although David knows that she's married, he sends for her. She comes willingly. Now, admittedly, it's a little fishy that she was taking a bath on her roof where David could see her. Um, but we won't go there. Um, I guess we just did. Um, but so she comes to him, and some weeks later she lets him know that she's pregnant. So he calls Uriah, her husband, back from the, from the, from the war. Uh, and he tries to get Uriah to go sleep with his wife, thinking then he'll think it's his baby. But Uriah is too honorable to do that. And so David, with a sealed message, sends it back to Uriah's commander to have put Uriah in the front of the battle, and then when it's, everybody's fighting, withdraw from him so he'll be surrounded by the enemies and dies. And that's what happens. It's basically murder by proxy. It's quite, you know, they should make, I think they've made a movie about this. They should make more. Um, <laughs> David waits a little while and then brings Bathsheba into the palace to become one of his wives. She bears a son, and they're thinking they've gotten away with it. And, and, and even if your besetting sin is something that just goes on in your heart, you, you, you know you never get away with it. God always sees, and it just breaks his heart. Because he, he knows that when we, when I do these things, even if it's only in my heart, it means that my heart is loving something else more than him. If I'm if, if, it might be pleasure, it might be success, it might be feeling superior to someone else. And my heart's trying to get my identity from something that I'm loving more than him. And God wants me to get my identity and my sense of meaning from the fact that he loves me. He delights in me. So it breaks God's heart when he sees me or David or you or anyone lusting or bad-mouthing or hoarding or fuming or looking down on others. He knows it's hurting you. He knows it's hurting the people you're doing it to, the people you relate to, because it all impacts us, and it also hurts him. He knows that you are not loving him first. What's the first and greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love comes from the heart. What does God care about? God cares about my heart. David committed adultery and murder because there was lust in his heart. And he thought he got away with it. And then many months later, after the baby is born, the prophet Nathan comes. And he says, I want to tell you about something that's happened. And David says, what is it? He says, well, there's this guy, rich guy, lots of sheep. And, and there's this neighbor of his that has one little lamb that he loves. And the rich guy had a visitor come. And so he took the, one, the, the poor guy's lamb and killed it and fed his visitor with it. And David said, that man deserves to die. And Nathan said, you are the man. <laughs> David repented. And David wrote Psalm 51 the greatest passage in the Bible on what confession is like. There are still some consequences. The baby dies. Later, God says his house will turn against him. Absalom, his favorite son, turns against him and, and dies. Brutal civil war. Thousands die. But here's Psalm 51, starting at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now notice first, we'll keep going, but notice King King David's focus. Against you, you only, have I sinned. Now did he sin against Uriah? Yeah, he had him killed. Did he sin against Bathsheba? Sure, I mean, he... That's bad for her soul to commit adultery and to, for them to do that together. Did he sin against the baby who died or the thousands who died in the Civil War? All of these he sinned. He even sinned against himself. It wasn't good for him to commit adultery. But he focuses on God. And he says, against you, you only have I sinned. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Now he knows God is merciful. God has taught the Israelites through the sacrificial system of sacrificing rams and goats and bulls that there is forgiveness, that there, but it's all pointing to the future when God himself will come, the Son of God, and die as the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. When God will actually die for his enemies that they might become part of his family. Verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. He promises he'll tell people, and that's we're doing that here today. We sing, and um, we, we go out and tell other people about Jesus. Hopefully you do. A good habit is wake up in the morning and say, Lord, show me somebody I can share a little bit about Jesus with today, what he's done for me, and what it's like to know him. Verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What does God care about? He cares about my heart. What is a contrite heart? Can you be forgiven just because you give a lot of money at the church? Or can you be forgiven because you come here regularly for worship? But you don't have a contrite heart? Actually, no. It is a contrite heart that leads us to repentance and faith and salvation. Without a contrite heart, we don't truly repent. Now, there's a great theological nugget right in the middle of a historical passage by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. He says, For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So there's godly grief, what we see the broken and contrite heart of David here in Psalm 51, and then there's worldly grief which leads to death, and and that's something else. Godly grief leads to repentance and salvation without regret. When we experience it, we experience peace. We feel forgiven. Have you ever asked God to forgive you and you didn't feel forgiven? Well, if you were experiencing godly grief, you feel forgiven. But when we experience worldly grief, it leads to death. So, so clearly, it's not enough just to feel sorry. It's not enough for Janelle to come and say, sorry. God doesn't like that. We don't like that. That's not what it means to confess 
Not in the biblical way. It's not enough just to be sorry. We want it to be godly sorrow. We want to be sorry for the right reasons. A couple of things to consider in that is that godly grief is spiritual. Worldly grief is natural. Godly grief is supernatural. You need the Holy Spirit's help. Worldly grief, it's easy. You can kind of do it on your own. And then godly grief, kind of the key thought is it's focused on God. Worldly grief, it's more of a self-focus. Now let me give you a couple of quick illustrations. Uh, you, you know, all of our kids, they're raised from the time they're, they can walk to, before you cross the street, look both ways, hold somebody's hand, do not run out in the street. But imagine a little kid, you know, runs out in the street anyway, gets hit and breaks their arm. Are they sorry? Well, yes. They might just be sorry because they broke their arm because it hurts and they're going to miss out on a swim party or something like that. That's not godly sorrow. That's just very natural. Uh, imagine the following illustration. Um, I love barbecue today. I'm going to cook for the whole family because we're celebrating my wife's birthday a couple days early, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, so I love barbecue. So let's say you are having a big party, and it's a barbecue, okay? I love barbecue, and you invite me, and I come over, and you, and you, and you have put this perfectly cooked ribeye, the steak that all steak lovers love, and you've, you're, you're handing it to me and say, Rick, this is for you. And I look at it, I knock it out of your hands onto the ground, I spit in your face, I <laughs> point at you in disdain, I go over and sit with some of your friends and start bad-mouthing you. But then after a little while I go, smells kind of good. Those people look like they're pretty happy eating those steaks and cornbread and stuff. You know, I'm feeling kind of hungry. So I go over, over to you to confess. And I say, I'm so sorry that I'm missing out on the food. Please forgive me for missing out on the food and fix me another plate like the last time. How, how would you feel? <laughs> kind of like Janelle saying sorry. You know, the issue between us is not that I'm not eating. The issue between us is how I've treated you. That I've insulted you, I've despised you, I've dishonored you, I've bad-mouthed you. I should be sorry for how I have treated you, not for how I have treated me. Godly grief focuses on God. Worldly grief focuses on ourselves. And there are lots of things we could do, but I'm just going to quickly um, go through a couple of things. One of the most common ways that people who have been following Jesus for years experience godly grief is when, when we are feeling that we cannot, because we just sinned, we cannot be proud of ourselves. And I've been following Jesus over 50 years, and I still struggle with this. You, you, we, it, this especially happens with our besetting sin, the area that we tend to get weak in. And if we, if we aren't jaded to it, because, oh, everybody does that, but if we actually still are sensitive that, yeah, God doesn't like that. Then when we, do, when we fall into that again, we often say to ourselves, oh no, I failed again. I thought I was so much better by now. I'm not as good as I thought I was. I cannot be proud of myself. I feel awful. You ever have that? You ever have that? If not, you're pretty unusual. <laughs> For followers of Jesus, this is a completely natural feeling, not from the Holy Spirit. Our pride loves to just get in there. It's very adept at making us feel ashamed and sad because we failed. And it means that the focus is on me. 
It's my consequence that I can't be proud of myself. That's not the issue between me and God. To experience godly grief, I ask the Holy Spirit to help me, to help me focus on God, to understand more fully and more deeply what I've, how I've treated him, what I've done to him. Because he made me, he loves me, he knows what's best, he's my king, and yet I say, oh no, you don't know what's best, I'll be king this time. And I insult him, and I reject him, and it grieves him. You know, it literally hurts God's feelings. There's a passage that says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, it says. I'm not following the first commandment. I'm not loving him before everything else. I'm taking something else that's led me to sin because I, I, I think that'll be good for me. Worldly grief is motivated by pride or selfishness. It occurs quite naturally. Godly grief requires the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I recommend to you, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, or if you're not even a follower of Jesus, or maybe you've been thinking that coming to church does it and God's happy or giving money to that. No. God cares about what? He cares about my heart. And so ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And sometimes it can take some time. But focus on God, how you've treated him. Often it's going to be about your besetting sin, whether it's some kind of pride or bad-mouthing or lust, whatever it is. And just imagine how your sin breaks God's heart. That he, he just he loves you, he delights in you, and he sees you running after things that will not be good for you or others and certainly will take you away from what he has for you. And don't say glibly like Janelle, don't say sorry or any of the other types of sorries that don't work. Often, this is true for both when you're asking forgiveness of people or asking forgiveness of God. Put yourself in their shoes. Imagine the pain that you've caused them by what you've done. Let that break your heart, give you a broken and contrite heart. And then when you come and ask for forgiveness, God and people will often see that. Then you ask and you come and you say, will you forgive me? And God promises he does. The scripture passage already read today, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he promises that you will experience a godly grief that leads to salvation and peace and relief. And if you're not experiencing that peace and relief when you repent, probably the problem is not experiencing godly grief. Because when it's my pride saying, oh, now I can't be proud of myself, then I can't be proud of myself until until I do better, and I often don't do better. But if the problem was with God, and God says, my child, I understand, and I forgive you, and he floods you with his Holy Spirit to feel forgiven and to feel peace. You know, Judas was... Very sorry after he betrayed Jesus, but my best read on it it was self-focused and he went out and killed himself. Peter was also sorry, but he repented and was restored. It's not enough to be sorry. We sang Beneath the Cross of Jesus, one of my favorite hymns. Perhaps one of the best things to remember when you sin is what it costs God to bring you into his family. The suffering on the cross. And let that break your heart. I still remember the first night when I turned my life over to Jesus and finally realized what I'd been doing in terms of lust and dishonesty and pride and self-centeredness and just the wash of peace that came over me. 
as the Holy Spirit ministered to my heart. And if you've never experienced that, you can today. You can come to God and tell him not just sorry, but a deep, heartfelt sorrow. And if, you, and it's, been, if, if it's been a while, we Christians, we get, we get distracted. We, get, we, get off, we have to come here every week and be reminded of the gospel. If it's been a while since you experienced godly grief and just this amazing peace from God's forgiveness, then do that today. God loves you. He loved David, even though David really messed up, but it was a man that deeply loved God. So come to him with a broken and contrite heart. Confess. Practice confession regularly and receive forgiveness today and each day. Would you pray with me?